I'm Michael Heyman, and you're listening to Changemakers. Now, I'm delighted to be joined today by Greg Hoffman, the legendary former Global Chief Marketing Officer of Nike. During almost 30 years with the company, Greg led three Olympic campaigns and worked with global superstars from LeBron James to Serena Williams. He described his approach to brand building as seeking out the daydreamers and taking them seriously, recognizing that visionary ideas come not only from ingenious individuals, but from whole cultures of innovation. It's an approach that drove the ideas behind some of the most famous marketing campaigns in history and the story that is told in Greg's new book, Emotion by Design, described by BT Sports' Jake Humphrey as the ultimate playbook to unleashing creativity. Greg, welcome to Changemakers. Let's just do it. I just can't wait to get into the story and lessons from a life at Nike. Where, where do we start? 50th anniversary, you did almost 30 years there. What did you take from the experience? Oh, well, it's just amazing that uh, a brand that has change the lives of so many individuals as well as athletes around the world is turning 50, right? And uh, the impact it's made in the world of sport and just the the world of brand building mm-hmm. kind of set the trends on that. And so to show up as a 22-year-old intern back in the day and be able to spend a good chunk of time on my own personal journey within this great brand was was just uh, something that I'll always be thankful for. And uh, I take forward through this new book, Emotion by Design. Yeah. I mean, we'll, we'll get on to that um, in, in a moment. I mean, but I sort of just wanted to get the culture that that you experienced there because you know there is another version of the nike story that could have been called blue ribbon sports that could have been a very different company um i guess but actually you were part of this kind of the creation of this global icon the the goddess of winning nike the whole unleashing of this kind of spirit that has captured a generation and you were at the heart of that i just sort of wondered whether from as you say from starting when you entered to actually leaving with one of the one of the biggest jobs at one of the most defining brands in the world sure. what what you've personally taken that in terms of your legacy your feeling about the experience well, you mentioned the, the word feeling, which I think is really important because in those early days, I was in and surrounded by a culture and individuals that spent so much time asking the question, how do we want people to feel mm. not only about our brand and our products and our stories, but how do we want them to feel about themselves and their ability to achieve their own definition of of greatness and potential? And that was new to me at that time, right? Because sometimes you can spend so much time on creating, you know, your product solution or creating your campaign. And it's really focused on how you want people to feel about the brand. But here's this culture constantly asking the question, not only what problem are you trying to solve and what need are you trying to satisfy, but how do you want people to feel on an emotional level? And you see that over and over again through campaigns such as Just Do It and walking into the Nike town there and in, in London. And it's a feeling that you get. It's immersive. Mm. It's all senses. And, and did that lead you then to the title for your book, Emotion by Design? Because some, you know, I, I suppose in, in many in many respects, the great thing about about the title of that book is it, it is by its nature there to get you to think, right? You know, emotion you think of as being one of those things you don't design. It's an outburst. It's a feeling. But actually, I guess, you know, a, a lot of that title is is by design itself in terms of the experience you had, but also the advice you give. That, that's right. Uh, it's the intentional practice of unleashing the creativity in yourself and in your team, because so often these creative disciplines, whether 
it's advertising or marketing or design are responsible for engaging your audience and your consumers in ways that motivate them and make them feel that they can accomplish even their most audacious dreams. And, and I would say this, it's like it shows up in every output of the Nike brand, because a, as you can see, the, the swoosh logo isn't just a trademark. You know, this, the, the logo um, is really a symbol of, of human potential. You know, just do it isn't just a slogan. It's a state of mind and, and certainly a way of life for millions of people around the world. And that's by design, right? That doesn't just happen in an arbitrary way. You have mm. to infuse and surround everything you do as a brand with emotion. Well, I can remember watching a great Steve Jobs video in the, in the late 90s where he addresses the Apple executives and he, and he talks about this question of, of who do we honor and, and calls out Nike as what well, Nike honors greatness, whether it's personal greatness or, or, or great athletic greatness. But I suppose that emotion was has always been part of that story. And I suppose a lot of people that, that said, listen, will think, well, you know, I'm an entrepreneur and maybe that's fine for Nike, but, but can I do it? Can we all do it? Can we create the movements that you talk about in the book? Can I unleash these, you know, creative leadership, the power of passion, all these sorts of themes sure. and, and ideas? I mean, you know, I suppose franchise that for us, Greg, give us a sense of why we've all got that power within to unleash, I guess, some of the lessons you learned at Nike. Because everyone can ask, this simple question, what is the invitation? What are you inviting people to be a part of through your product or service, right? That's being more than just a product, more than just a transaction, inviting an individual to be part of something bigger than just themselves, right? That's, that's the spirit of Just Do It. When Just Do It came into the world in 1988, right after the most iconic commercial you could say of all time for Nike, the revolution hmm. commercial with the Beatles soundtrack, right? That was the ultimate invitation for everyone that maybe didn't see themselves as an athlete or even passionate about sports to be part of this movement. So whether you're a business of, you know, six people or 6,000, you can all come together to ask those type of questions. And it all starts with like, what's the proposition? What's the call to action to those that you're serving that goes beyond, again, just satisfying the rational need? Mm -hmm. And that's why people have such an unbelievable attachment to sneakers. Well, um, well, some people can't live without their shoes. And, and, and do, do you think that, that that is the emotional risk? But I suppose the question is, if, if I'm sat here and I'm in, I don't know, some, some B2B area like finance or, or some other area, can you unleash the same emotions wherever you are in business or, 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 or indeed in, in, in all the things you might do in life? I mean, there's a great phrase that you use in the book, creative leadership, that we all have it within us to be, to be creative leaders. I suppose what I'm sort of thinking about is what's the message to the cynics who go, well, it's all right when you're a global all-star like Nike, sure. but it's difficult for me. Yeah. But whether you're selling insurance or you're selling cars or it's you're in the consumer beverage company, it starts first and foremost of being able to paint a picture either figuratively or literally of this vision of the future that you are pulling everyone to. If you can't do that, I question what is mm -hmm. your purpose? So it starts with what is your purpose as a brand beyond selling? And being able to articulate that in a vivid way is quite powerful, regardless of what line of business you're in. And mm -hmm. let, me, let me say this, and back to this idea of 
of creative leadership. Number one, the word creative, you know, it's not about having creative or design or innovation in your title, right? Because creativity is both the conceiving ideas and applying ideas. And of course, applying ideas is for those oftentimes that have created fluency in a particular discipline, right? Mm -hmm. But conceiving ideas and thinking and brainstorming and dreaming about them, we all have that creative capacity. Mm -hmm. And as far as leadership, whether you're a leader of a team or a leader of one, you have the ability to influence the path of your company and the lives of your audience. And you need to recognize that. And I think sometimes you just need some thoughts on what are the different traits that one must lean into and characteristics. I mean, I mean, you've described creativity as the rocket fuel because it creates it creates the connection, right? And I, I was wondering the degree to which you found life outside of Nike, one where people get creativity as the the rocket fuel, the superpower, the the thing that really does make you different, or the degree to which there is still a, you know, a sales job on the importance of creativity in all the organizations that you come across that still needs to be done? I mean, it's a great question because I do think you need to demystify the creative process so that individuals of all walks of life can understand, like, how do they participate or integrate it into their lives, even if they have a highly analytical driven role within a particular company. And I would just say there's, there's two primary characteristics at the beginning of any successful innovation or creative process. And that's empathy and curiosity, because it's empathy is the art of deeply understanding the needs of your audience or the subject, right? And going past simple observations and assumptions that lots of lots of us, including myself, sometimes fall into, mm-hmm. but it's peeling back the layers to get at whatever the truth or insight is that you want to solve for or reveal to the world. The best advertising comes from the fact that at the beginning of the process, a team really went deep and peeled back the layers to to find a, a, a truth to put out into the world in a profound way. And then of course, curiosity. Once you figure out what you want to bring to the world, you need points of inspiration that oftentimes fall outside of the sector or category of business you're you're within. And that's mm-hmm. why I always tell people, you know, arguably the greatest Nike innovation that ever happened was Nike Air. And Nike Air wasn't born out of the sports and product performance industry. It came from NASA and space exploration. Mm. To, to that degree, when those ideas were first sort of like, you know, mooted, you can imagine that, you know, more conservative reactionary audiences would go, well, what's what does space exploration have to do with, with, with shoes? And what I read the book as was that, in many ways, it's a treatise for the need to play it bold. You know, that, that you know, you, you've got a chapter, never play it safe, play to win, the power of passion. Even the whole idea about emotion by design is that, you know, the importance of being countercultural, the, the importance of the path less traveled, I felt was a really key message of, of that book that seemed to be a golden thread right the way throughout. That's right. Yeah, that that is correct. I think You know, today, as I said, branding and brand building is an art and science. And of course, a lot of what we spend time on during the given day is reading the marketplace and the needs of the audience, which you can now do in real time, Mm -hmm. of course, right? And serving those needs through, through your products and services and stories. 
at the same time, and this is what brands like Nike and like Apple or a Tesla do, is they're also dreaming about the future and introducing concepts that the consumer could never dream of, right? Mm -hmm. And that's that idea of incentivizing risk-taking within your culture. And certainly for us, being in the world of sports and teams and athletes, you know, there's so much inspiration just to draw from that arena in terms of what you see on the pitch, you know, on the court and on the field of play. And so I, I do think, you know, this idea of protecting the space and providing, providing the platform for teams to think together and work on ideas that oftentimes don't sit on a concept map or a business plan or brand strategy. Mm -hmm. And um, certainly we operationalized the approach of three, four times a year, having a forum to introduce these blue sky concepts. And I can tell you, as I stated in the book, Many of these unique concepts that started with oftentimes just a conversation between a couple people became really big game-changing global ideas. Mm. There was no business brief. Did, did you find that, I mean, over the, I think it was 28 years you did that, Greg, was it, did, did you find that in that period that the attitude to risk changed in terms of, you know, presumably the first few years was very different to the last few years. And just, just in terms of the status, the size, the market impact, I mean, when you've got more to lose, how do you keep that kind of, that, that kind of counterintuitive approach, that kind of approach, which is about, we are going to do it differently. You know, the, the, I suppose the rebel in the crowd, how, how, how does that, how does that stay alive and well? Yeah, well, it, it, it's a great question. And I do think a lot of it is, is based on how you start. Okay. I, Cause I want to be clear about this. The fact that when I walked in as an intern, and went to orientation, there was probably a good half hour spent on this concept of leading from the front. Mm -hmm. And it was illustrated by Nike's first athlete that they ever signed, Steve Prefontaine. So when Steve raced, right, whether it was at the Olympics or whether it was at the University of Oregon, he strove to lead from the beginning. And how many teams do you see once they have the lead they start playing defensive mm -hmm. and it's not good for you and I to watch. And quite frankly, I don't think it's that enjoyable for the players and, and the, and the coaches and, and, and that. So I just wanted to throw that out there that, you know, so much of it is built on the foundation and the values that you start with in the beginning. Mm -hmm. And then you build on that and you're unwavering about that. And isn't it interesting that we believed in this so much that the most successful campaign I ever had the opportunity to lead at the global level in terms of viewership was called Risk Everything. Risk Everything. And that was, yeah. the, that was the 2014 <laughs> global campaign that launched during the World Cup, right? And, and that was our way of, of, of motivating and inspiring the world to make sure that we don't allow the creativity and imagination that resides in all of us to be automated or stamped out. Yeah, and, I mean, you mentioned football. I don't want to lose it from it because, because you know, that was that was one of your big plays actually taking Nike into football, an area where you know in the early days. Nike was not the brand it is today in, in football. I mean, you had a lot of doubters to, to overcome. I mean, what, what did you take? You risked everything there, right? <laughs> what did you take as yeah. a message, oh, the learning? 
No, that that's great. And part of that is like, you know, stand up and take the shot if no one else wants to, right? So yeah, I was very lucky to arrive at a time where Nike football was in its infancy and having a great passion for, for football and playing my whole life up until that point, I raised my hand and said, I'll take this all on and I don't want to date myself, but really the 1994 World Cup was my mm. first opportunity as a 23, 24 year old to use my own imagination and ingenuity with almost no resources, by the way, but I didn't complain. I just mm -hmm. said, well, this is, this is unbelievable. And it's in the book, you know, the, the event marketing budget was $10,000. And, and you've made that point that some of the boldest things you've done were from the yeah. low, the lowest budgets, right? Yeah. And, and think about it. The, it was only, you know, 2005, one of the most successful campaigns was just shot on a, a video camera of Ronaldinho kicking the ball into the crossbar and the ball coming back to him and not hitting the ground and he kicks it again and it hits the crossbar. Mm -hmm. One, it's the first brand film on this young art, young platform called YouTube at the time to hit a million views. And so I use those examples as a way of saying that sometimes very tight timelines and very little to no budget is ultimately what creates some of the most impactful moments for a brand. And certainly, Michael, just look at what young creators now can do in terms of Instagram and TikTok and some of these other platforms. Mm. They can create things that have more viewership than global brands. I mean, I mean, and and as you say, hugely impactful in in and in terms of what you, I suppose you know, impact is about the ability to connect. And I, I, I mean, I can tell you the you know, the part of the book that I enjoyed reading the most recently is because I'm I'm a I'm a dad of two young girls and it was one of your campaigns that really spoke to me and it begins if people say your dreams are crazy you know dream crazy is a is a campaign where you just manage to capture you know I'm even tingling saying it to you, you know that sort of like the effect and the impression that it had tell us about that campaign I mean that was a bold campaign with a bold beginning but with a big message a purposeful message about a corporate citizen as well as just a as, as well as just a marketing message it's it had so many different levels i thought yeah that's right and and just isn't it interesting that as we get older we dream less and less mm -hmm. and it's a good reminder that that imagination you had it as a child doesn't need to stop right and yeah i mean look i i i believe and have believed for a long time that indifference isn't an option with all of the different events and ish pressing issues of our time going on i i don't think think brands should just stick to business, provided they can connect what they sell to what the world needs in an authentic way to them. Yes. Yeah, so, you know, going all the way back, this is also when you think of, of the dream crazy, crazy dreams campaigns, this is having a diversely represented team empowered and engaged and activated looks and feels like, right? Because you're talking about a campaign where there were no focus groups, mm. right? As, <laughs> as high stakes and maybe as polarizing as that was with Colin Kaepernick being the voice of that campaign, there was deep conviction to pursue what we did best, which is storytelling, engaging people in a way that they could not only be inspired, but to take action. And I have to tell you that way back in 2017, when we sat down with Colin Kaepernick, right? And I sat next to him at lunch in that 
kind of late summer and he didn't have a team to play for, which was just unbelievable considering he wasn't that far removed from taking his team to the Super Bowl. And so uh, the reason I say this is that Colin and I have some similarities. You know, Mm -hmm. Colin is biracial. He's half black, half white. So am I. Colin's also adopted by his white parents. I am as well. And I say this because I was able to use my lived in experience within the workplace to look through my eyes as the chief marketing officer and say, we're going to do something about this. Mm. Right. And so I want to get that out there because I think we're in a moment in time where diverse representation only is representative if it's activated. If it's activated, actually, I'm so glad you used that word because I was going to say activism, right? You know, which is that, and you know, the thing I I took at it took out of it was that, and and I think you say this in the book is that although Colin Kaepernick was the was the was the face of the campaign, quite rightly so, and and remembered for it, but but it spoke to other issues, right? It it, it spoke spoke to girls and women in sports, spoke to disability in sports, spoke to so many areas where I think it was so important for Nike to put it to put it to put itself in in the frame here and to actually and to actually take a stance and so I, I felt you know having read it to my mind it was one of the most important campaigns in in your career I don't know whether you'd agree with that well yeah and I think you're getting at this idea of our our collective human potential it doesn't have to be political. It doesn't have to be polarizing. But at the same time, it's that message of inclusion that's uh, multi-generational. I do think there's a bit of a playbook or at least filters that, that companies large and small need to use as they look to simultaneously, you know, build business growth or shareholder value, but at the same time, you know, um, have have a positive impact mm. on the world. That's that idea of, of leaving a legacy, not just a memory. Well, um, a, memory a, a memory sometimes is where you come in you you make a statement in a given point in time and and then you're gone right mm. so i mean, I mean on, on this issue of purpose bruce daisley who you'll know was vp of twitter he, he wrote of your book as a, he called it a powerful love letter to the power of a sense of purpose so it got me thinking about when you think of of purpose i mean it's one of the big debated ideas in terms of in terms of what it means to you and, and what it is from the perspective of the role that you had what would you define it as what what's the advice you'd give about it yes well i i again i think it's it's it gets back to recognizing your position and platform you know i i had a lot of folks that you know were definitely responsible for my growth uh, as a leader and pulled me up the mountain if you will mm-hmm. as they rose and likewise i wanted to make sure that i honored that as well not only within the campaigns and experiences we brought to the world but also the type of team that you cultivated and the type of leader that you showed up as and so I'm, I'm very big on this idea of like, at, hey, at the end of the day, um, certainly in the world of, of business, you know, it, you're there to work, you're there to mm. deliver against the goals of the business. But at what I'm saying today is now more than ever, you also need to integrate a philosophy and approach that also pulls the world forward in a positive way as you're having the bit type of business success that you seek. Mm. And I mean, you know, and the cynic will say, here we've got two marketeers sort of talking to each other about purpose, and, and that's the problem. I mean, it, it, what's your riposte to that, Greg? 
Yeah, look, I, I again, I teach branding at the University of Oregon's Graduate School of Business. And I'm very clear, right? Because as I've said before, it's that, you know, there's a rational and emotional approach to brand building, you know, that so what, what I'm not saying is if you don't have your house in order, right, a clearly defined brand house, right, then it's going to be really difficult for you to make an impact beyond your business, mm. because either you're going to come across as maybe out of touch or tone deaf or distracting from what you need to deliver. So I want to be clear about that. But at the same time, you're going to miss out on the opportunity you have, right, to create the type of, and let me, let me also back up here, is back to this idea of emotion, right? When you emotionally connect in ways with your audience and society, you have cultural influence. And it's that influence and culture that allows you to step up mm. and take a point of view on some of the most pressing issues of our time. It doesn't have to be a distraction. Mm -hmm. That's my I mean, point. Yeah, no, I, I totally am with you on that. And I was just thinking it also speaks to the importance of, you know, the tribes that you build, the kind of the movements that you build. And because, you know, the, the, there are people that I know when I, when I do talks about, about my book and I'll often talk about Nike and people go, well, Nike, you know, they were fine. They were a small company. Now they're a big global corporation and, and so on. But, but my view is that Nike is a phenomenon because it is a big corporation that connects with vast numbers of people. And and you've only got to see the sort of work that, that, that is done and see the sorts of campaigns that you run to, to, to really get that and, and to get the fact of why it's a brand that uniquely seems to be able to connect with the head and the heart. That, that's right. And if you see today, I would say Nike now more than ever is predominantly trying to reach the most diverse and broadest audience in the most inclusive way, more than mm. ever, right? Mm. Uh, through their communication, if, if you're watching that. And again, that's, that's by design because they recognize their place in the world and this kind of opportunity and gift that they've been given to leave that legacy. Yeah, just do it. I mean, just on that, I mean, this book is a wonderful book to read, not only because I suppose it does give the story behind, you know, just do it, Nike, the, the, the culture. It's one part how to do it in terms of the things that you can do to actually capture some of that magic. But it's also one part, very, very personal memoir, I think, Greg, about your life and your story. I mean, for people that haven't read the book yet, let's go back to Greg in Minneapolis thinking about the career that you might start on? Because I know that there was a, an early fork in the road, but let's go back even before that, before the book even starts in terms of what, what were your earliest thoughts about the future you might you might go on to try and build and the things that you were thinking about within the family and that sort of that sort of side of things. Yeah, no, well, I think you you always, you know, where we are today, you know, that, that path started to be forged kind of the minute we came into the world, right? And it just so happened, I I grew up in, you know, the middle of America in, in Minnesota. I was, uh, you know, a bit of an outsider because here, here I was this black kid in an all white school system. I was also adopted. So imagine all white school system, suburb and family. And so I turned to art and sport in some ways as an escape from that reality. Mm -hmm. um, and thankfully I was in an environment where my parents really supported those two passions. So by the time I started to think about about 
you know, what I wanted to, to maybe do in the world, I, I really did start to see this brand called Nike introduce these products and stories within the 80s that that really struck me in a variety of ways. But one, I have to tell you, because your, your audience may not know, is that this was really the first brand that really started to use people of color within its advertising, right? Mm-hmm. And as a young teenager, that was really, really powerful because I I was searching for for those signals and that sense of identity. And and then lo and behold, just to fast forward, the fact that I had one of the most famous posters of Michael Jordan in my college apartment that I came home to every day, not knowing that in a year later that I would be working for the gentleman that actually designed that poster. Mm. And so there was all these signals throughout my life that said, you know, you're on a path to work for the swoosh. Oh, you know, this is one of those interviews I wish we could just go on and on. But I mean, you know, my, my last question for you, Greg, is, is really surrounding the motto that you close the book with, be human, design, emu- design emotion, leave your legacy. You've had an extraordinary career, all the more extraordinary for, for, the, for the things we've just spoken about in terms of starting life, where you saw it going, how you how you grabbed and, and created a, a sense of self-agency and what you've done with that career with, with Nike. When you think about your own legacy, your own message um, around that, that phrase of be human, design emotion, leave your legacy, let's turn that into an advice piece for listeners in terms of things they might take from your story. No, it's a it's a great. I'm glad where we we finish with those three lines because that's the just is we're in a moment in time where and maybe we're being asked to not put more of ourselves out there within the business environment. And what I'm saying is that you know we need to show up and exercise those human characteristics back to empathy, curiosity, fearlessness right? Mm -hmm. Which is so important for to be an innovator. And you need to lean into those characteristics because ultimately that gets to the second part, emotion. When you come across as a human being, as a brand, you become more relatable. You are a brand that someone wants to have an actual relationship with. And then from that, that third part is when you have that emotional connection, you start to have the level of influence where you can build something bigger that goes beyond business, beyond maybe the first interaction that your audience had from with you. And Mm. you end up back to this idea of leaving a legacy as an individual, as a leader, and as a brand because of this realizing this audacious vision that you put out in the world and achieving it through emotion. Well, I'll tell you, you've you've given me something to think about. And if legacy is about getting people to think, I'd say your book also does that. And that's a, that's a part of it as well. Emotion by design, creative leadership, lessons from a life at Nike. Greg Hoffman, thank you so much for joining me on Changemakers. Thank you, Michael. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. Changemakers is brought to you by the campaign's firm Seven Hills and presented by me, Michael Heyman. Pure Being is the name of our soundtrack and it's written and performed by the brilliant BT Wolf. To find out more, head over to changemakers.works and if you like what you hear, why not give us a rating? 